So let me uh, pray and we'll get uh, rolling on the theology. Lord, it is just great uh, that you have brought us together. And it is even greater that you have brought us into your kingdom. And to think that uh, yesterday we got to think about um, your attributes, uh, your love uh, for us, your holiness, your sovereignty, your omniscience, and just how great you are and how much all of that greatness and still you love us. And then today we continue to get to think about uh, who you are and who we are in you. And as we begin, as we start thinking about man, about us, may we realize our true uh, position without you, and may we rejoice together in now our true position as children of God in you. Thank you, Christ. Spirit, once again, we totally rely on you as being our teacher and each one of the participants, myself included. There's something that we need to learn today. So please, uh, teach us, and uh, may uh, you even use this time to grow us to be more like a son. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So please find your notes, uh, Anthropology, and we'll start there. So anthropology, you typically think of maybe a, a university class. Anthropology, study of a man, you know, digging up, uh, uh, you know, fossils of, of humans and things like that. But uh, we're going to deal with, this is more of the study of man and who we really are. And this is going to be very important as you deal with uh, your counselees. Is they're going to have... Uh, Sometimes they're going to come in with some very high views of themselves. Uh, you know, that they are the uh, center of the universe and that the uh, uh, sun, S-U-N, and the sun, S-O-N, God, should be revolving around them. And you need to give them a, a proper understanding. Now, one of the major things that you're going to run into is a lot of the people that you're going to work with, they probably first have been to a a secular counselor. And, uh, a, and, and then that probably has not uh, worked as well as they need, and so uh, they're desperate, so they'll try anything, so they come, come to you. You know, you're sort of the bottom of the barrel, but they'll be uh, quite surprised at how well you help them. But one of the things that you'll uh, have to help them here is that uh, one of the things that secular counseling, and, and I don't know, there are like 250 secular methods that are appropriate to use uh, in the secular world. In all those systems, I don't know any of them that don't say that the answers that man needs can be found in themselves. All right, And what you're going to do is that you're going to explain to them the answers that you need cannot be found in yourself. It is found in God, in Christ, and the Scriptures. All right, so it's going to be a major, major shift in their thinking and for them to realize that. Because even in counseling, you can fall into the trap of, all right, behaviorism. Get it done. You follow this command, you're going to be all right. And that's, yes, you want to help them follow the command, but following those commands that God has given us, remember, they're doing it on the strength that the Spirit has given them to do it. All right, so let's look at the, uh, the notes here. 
and uh, got some got some paragraph ideas. And looking at it, a, all right, just in it. Man was created by. All right, very simple, but need to remember that and lay a foundation. Then working through B, the image, the important thing is C, uh, sinned and therefore therefore incurred both physical and spiritual uh, death. Working through an understanding of that and then D, uh, here, you know, what are... What are your favorite, uh, favorite, favorites saved by grace or gospel verses? You know, have some of those that uh, on your mind and uh, use the exam to explore them and have them sink in your mind. Don't necessarily choose the, the ones that I have written there. Choose ones that are most helpful uh, to you that you may already know or uh, read about and just have a, have a good sense and you'll be able to speak to others about so, let's go back to the very beginning here. Who and what is man? So you're going to need to lay, I'll lay this out. Okay. Man was directly created by God. Real simple, real direct, uh, and he is the one who is certainly uh, st- sustaining us. And so, now the, the next thing is, very important, is the image. And not necessarily that these are two separate uh, paragraphs of two very important ideas is the image. We were created uh, in, in his image. There's some verse references in Genesis. And uh, uh, how does the male and female uh, reflect the image of God? There's some verses there. And uh, you, you know, have this interpersonal uh, unity expressed in, in marriage and the uh, same thing, you have this interpersonal unity expressed in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just as uh, we talked about uh, last night. Now, this is in the Trinity, that uh, each of the uh, persons in the Trinity, they are equal uh, in quality and they are equal in personhood. Same thing in a marriage, uh, husband and wife, that they are uh, equal in that sense. But do they have different roles? Yes. A husband has uh, certain roles and the wife has certain roles in a, in a relationship where they are married. And the same thing in the Trinity. The Father has a different role than the Son and the Spirit uh, now has a role of being with uh, each one of us. So just having that sense of uh, what image and some of that tie into the uh, uh, Trinity. Now, this is very key is to realize and to talk to them about, but we all have sinned and therefore, therefore incurred both a physical and spiritual uh, death. Okay? The, uh, the spiritual death is the one that is most important, that is a uh, separation from a God that has, a, has occurred. But uh, fortunately, that is not the end of the story. But before we get to the good part of the story, we have to go through this here. Remember that we are sinners. We are sinner by uh, nature, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's just part of our nature. That's part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. But we've also, are by transgression. We have, there are, are sins that uh, we do that are uh, that come out 
of our, our nature. So it's just not. And then just a participation in the, even going back to the original sin of, of Adam uh, there. We are, are part of that humanity and have that uh, curse upon us. Now, that's pretty hard, as it sounds, upon humans. But uh, fortunately, like I said, that's not the end of the story. And you remember there are other created beings in this uh, uh, world that God has made. Take the angels, for example, and some of them have fallen. And in God's economy and the way he does things, he has not made a way for them to be saved nor redeemed or restored. But for humans, as dark as it is, he has made a way for us. But not to neglect the aspect of uh, a sin as you talk to your people. Now, in our natural state, this state here, we are alienated from God. And then this too is an important aspect, is that without the Spirit's work, we are totally unable to earn merit or acceptance from God. Uh, unless the Spirit regenerates us, we can nothing we can do about it. Yeah. So this is what you've probably heard people talk about, the depravity of man. That's what they're talking about, is that we just do not have the ability. We're not able to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and become a believer. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit who saved us. Now, thinking about this here, you know, what are, what are your favorite uh, verses that talk about the grace of God or the gospel. Remember, ones that you'd like to use with a, a counselee. And uh, let's look at, let's open our Bibles. Let's look at uh, uh, Romans uh, 8.26. That is not, I'm sorry, that's not the right verse. That I'm looking for. Let me, uh, let me find the, the verse that I want to deal with, and I'll call it you, to your attention Okay, let me uh, circle that one up there, and I'll get back to you on that. All right, what role does anthropology play in counseling theory and practice? Thank you. Now, as you can see here, there's actually two types of anthropology that you want to compare. There's an anthropology that is referred to as unscriptural anthropology. And then the second part, there you see in B, is scriptural anthropology. So the unscriptural anthropology. Let's talk about that. Now this is actually a quote from the Adams book, uh, Competent to Counsel. It's in, the, in his footnotes there. But this gives you an idea what's being talked about. And it says, unscriptural anthropology denies the image of God distorted but inherent in man. So that's one of the aspects that you're going to want to talk about to them. They actually have, even though tarnished, they have the image of God in them. That it, having the image of God in them makes every single person very, very valuable and important. And that's why we go out of our way uh, to share the gospel with every 
person that comes into our sphere of influence because this person is a human being. They have the image of God uh, in them. And so we want to affirm man has within himself all the resources that he needs within, within himself for complete life. And that's, that is the problem, that affirming that they hear in secular counseling that they have all these resources. Now, scriptural anthropology from the Christian Counselor's Manual says man does have resources that he may tap, but they certainly are not within himself. So two very different views. Man has these resources in him, or man does not have the resources in them. So let's look at this here, going on to the role of counseling. This first one is to receive counsel, to receive salvation. Remember John one twelve, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become uh, children of God. Now here I want to encourage each of you that you become versed, you become good in being able to share the gospel with your counselees. Uh, we have, as I've, as I've watched over the last 15 years, this counseling process, it has ebbed and flowed and it has changed. Uh, so originally, somebody would walk in and they, you know, they're, they're from a church. They're a member of a believing church. Well, and they say they're a believer. Well, we would certainly believe that and go on. Uh, and sometimes you'd find out, wow, this, this person really is not uh, a believer. And so, and even they could be a leader in, in their local church of a significant uh, position and responsibility there. So do not assume from what they say in the beginning, nor even what their position may be in a church, that they necessarily really are someone who is a uh, Christian. There is still, especially among older people, there's still this sense of cultural Christianity floating around. That uh, I was raised in the church, you know, my uncle was a pastor, you know, these kind of, kind of things that uh, you hear. So uh, some of us, I'll tell you here at Grace Fellowship Church, they use the very first session to go over and explain the gospel from the very beginning to whoever they're counseling. Uh, I typically don't do it in the uh, first uh, session. If you remember back to when you took fundamentals, it says to develop, uh, it talks about developing a relationship with your, with your counselee. So I like to use some time and develop a relationship with them that they trust me, that I get to get to know them a little bit better and can if there's a little bit of a, a crack that might be there where they're ooh, they're talking ooh, slipped in good works is slipping in there as opposed to full dependence on Christ. Then so around the third or fourth, maybe even fifth session, that's a time when uh I will ha sign as uh, for homework. There's a little booklet by James McDonald 
called Assurance of Salvation. I will have them read uh, that booklet, and then the next time they come in, um, I will then uh, go over actually the sharing of the gospel from the beginning to the end, talking about you know our our fall, you know, separated from God, Christ uh, being that bridge to get to God, and there must be a receiving of that wonderful gift uh, that we have there. So that's uh, so remember to not just skip over that or uh, that they've said they're a Christian, make sure, and it's a really neat to watch. One of the uh, great things about uh, counseling that I really uh, appreciate, it's an opportunity to actually see people move from the kingdom of darkness to the, the kingdom of light. For myself, uh, I've been able to watch people transition to the Lord more in counseling than it have in other ways and other times of, of sharing uh, the gospel. So uh, let's go on to under C. Let's do item number two. Remember, you want to help the counselee see and utilize all the means of grace that God has made available for humans to bring glory to God. There, as you work with them, you know, this role of counseling is you're going, you're going to try and help them to please God. Uh, this please God verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, uh, I will tell you that uh, I can't remember when I have not used 2 Corinthians 5, 9 in the first session with counseling someone. You know, different translations say different things, but basically, so uh, whether at home or away, I make it my goal, I make it my purpose, I make it my aim to please God. And so that's what you want to do, is be helping uh, people uh, do that. So, so for the gentleman that just came in under the first week, through there, we're in a, a section that's referred to as anthropology, and we're working on the, the second uh, question there. What role does anthropology play in counseling and theory and practice? Okay. So... When it says here, what role does, does anthropology play in counseling theory and practice? Now, you're talking about biblical anthropology. All right, so to please God, then also, it's another way of saying it, if you're familiar with the uh, first question of the Westminster Catechism, what is the chief end of man? chief end of man is to uh, glorify God and enjoy him forever. And Piper has changed that to the chief end of man is to to glorify God by enjoying him uh, forever. But a lot of times, what, what does it mean to glorify? What does it mean to glorify God? It's one of those churchy words that uh, we use, but how do how do they how do you do that? And uh, uh, um, uh, there are just think about that is uh, do this exercise for yourself. So whether I, the verse says, 1 Corinthians 10, 30, so whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, many of you may have had uh, uh, orange juice this morning for, for breakfast time. So I want you to sometimes do an exercise of uh, how could I glorify God in the drinking of this orange juice? 
day. Uh, all things I'm supposed to be glorifying God. Just thinking about it. You know, and well, maybe uh maybe there was only a little bit of orange juice left. And uh so you offered it to the other person first before you took yours, you know. Uh, something like that. Or you went and bought the orange juice. Or as you drank the orange juice, you gave thanks to God for the, for the good taste. You gave thanks to God for the, the energy and refreshment uh, that it gave you. You gave thanks for his, just his uh, creation. You gave thanks for, to him for the, uh, the resources that uh, you had to be able to, to buy that. And uh, I was teaching these concepts uh, in Romania, and I used that as an example. And uh, and uh, in the story, I was telling them that, uh, uh, you know, I I didn't have any orange juice this morning where I was staying. I didn't have it. And uh, the folks in the class, there were a number of them that came in with jugs of orange juice for me the next day. And uh, so I really, really appreciated that. But... Uh, as I think about it, it brings tears to my eyes. I learned later that actually the group I was teaching, they, didn't even, they don't have enough money to have orange juice every day. And for them to go out and buy me orange juice so that I could have orange juice. I mean, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And that's what you want to help your counselor come to not just saying the answer to the first question of the Westminster Longer Catechism, but really living it in a life. And you have the opportunity to, to come alongside and help someone uh, grow and uh, change. The, uh, so this is uh, dealing with the anthropology of man. So uh, here, you know, talking about uh, love God with uh, everything. Now, remember, you've got to remind them of the resources that they have. Fortunately, they have God uh, himself there to help them. And uh, going on, they have the, the Holy Spirit. And they, even for ourselves, you know, uh, keep, we'll do a whole section on the Holy Spirit in the theology. But since he's, he's mentioned here, uh, just remember when you're doing the counseling Think about yourself as as being an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, and it's the, the Spirit that is is using uh, you uh, here. So, He is the Helper. He's the Advocate. He's helping you come alongside of this person. Now, I've listed here some verses in John 14. It is well worth the exercise of reading John. Uh, 14, 15, and 16. It's also worth the exercise of uh, reading Romans, uh, Romans 8. It talks about the Spirit quite a bit there. Now, one thing I did a couple years ago, and I do every time I read a, a new translation or get a new Bible, and you'll, you'll end up actually making a mess of your Bible when you do this, but it's well worth doing it, is that every time you come across a reference to the Spirit is to circle it. And you'll be amazed how often you will circle him being uh, referred to and just reminding that uh, uh, 
he is there and he is helping uh, the people. And he's helping them, not just during the counseling session, but in real life as they're dealing with their trial. And remember, a lot of times it'll be that a person is in a trial that really brings them to their, to their knees, humbled enough to come in and seek help and get uh, the counseling. Remember that uh, other resources, we're talking about resources that are outside themselves. Another resource is the scriptures. A lot of times it's just another, another book. For some of the, for some of the people, uh, they're not going to be like you, where you've come to appreciate the word of God and to understand that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands, for, stands forever. Uh, but for them... The, the Bible still could be just a big white book that sits on the coffee table or a shelf and maybe has the genealogy of the family uh, written in it. And that's the only time they open it, when someone's born or someone dies. Uh, but you want to really help them realize and really bring it to life. That uh, It says there in, in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is living and active, you know, going through and able to discern. At the end of that verse, it says, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And uh, so that's why you're always in counseling. You want to keep your finger on the Word of God and be using it as the primary thing you want to be talking about and just using your own life experience as an explanation from what the Word of God says there, and let the Word of God uh, speak to the people. i just give you an example. Um, I've worked with a number of people because of their situation that uh, they're, they're bitter. And uh, I found, and, it, and it's obvious, I mean, it's just written all over in what they're saying. And uh, if, if I say to, to them, you know, you, you, are, you are showing uh, signs of being uh, bitter here. I have never had anybody agree with me on that. But if I have them read uh, toward the end of uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I think it's uh, verse 31. If I have them read that verse, 31 and 32, it's a put off certain things, bitterness, malice, anger, and then put on you know, the forgiveness of God. And uh, if I have them read that, and uh, I ask them then, is there anything in this list here of 31 that is becoming characteristic of your life? They always say, bitterness, you know? And so just let the Word, use the Word of God that way to be a reflector of what's really going on in that that heart, that control center of, of their lives. Okay? It was um, Ephesians 4, 31, 32, Larry. Also, you have the help. You have the help of other, other Christians. So these are, the, these are the things that have available to folks as, that are from outside themselves to really make us special in God's, God's kingdom. We have the help of others. This is Galatians 6, 1 and 2. And this here... Uh, this can be a, this really can be a, a motto for your your counseling. You know, it's someone has is caught 
in a sin. And those of you who are spiritual, come along and gently restore them. That's what you want to be doing. It is, I mean, it is great uh, for a church to gather around and and put a roof on uh, someone's house. That is a great thing to do. But I think according to the scriptures, a greater thing to do is to come alongside a sinning brother or sister who is just entrapped or doesn't even realize how they're not using their lives to glorify God and they're just running into the same problems over and over again. Uh, that Come alongside them and to help them uh, in that and to realize the resources and help that Christ has them. Because then it goes on, Galatians 6.2 then, then says, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That phrase, law of Christ, is never used anywhere else in Scripture. And law of, So what is the law of Christ? Well, thinking back to John, what's recorded for us in John 13, talking at the Last Supper, where Jesus washed the disciples' feet and said, you know, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Well, that's the law of, law of Christ. That's at play now. That's what you're doing. What you're doing during this time of counseling, you are showing extreme love to this person. And it'll, it will be hard for you. Uh, and it'll, it'll take your time. It'll take your energy. Uh, you will really be giving to these people. Um, I can tell you, I am not, I am not one who naturally gravitates uh, to counseling. I'm a, a rather introverted person, so uh, it's not the type of thing. I want to talk about the, the deepest things necessarily. With, and, uh, uh, so, and also, I, uh, I don't like sad stories. You know, in counseling, you hear sad stories. Uh, in fact, uh, if you know my wife, Beth, uh, if she, uh, she goes to the library to get a video, she knows that it cannot have a sad ending, you know. <laughs> She's got a tough, you know. And even in the middle, you know, all stories, they've got to have a sadness somewhere. Uh, but even in the middle, she knows it can't be too sad, even, you know. So counseling, oh, it just tears my heart apart, some of the things that you will see. But then also the privilege that you get to watch God work in people's lives is just unbelievable to have it happen. So it takes someone even like, my, like myself that uh, my parents, my, both my parents are deceased, but remember they, they typically would, I'd see, was looking through photo albums, I'd see this picture in, in first grade, they have a Sunday school class and all the kids are sitting in the circle and I'm sitting outside the circle. So that's how in my natural state I was so introverted even at, at that time. So uh, in God's power, I can stand here and talk to you folks now. You know, amazing what the Lord does and uh, uh, gives you ability to do so. If I can counsel, certainly he will use you folks uh, greatly. And so these are some of the things that in biblical anthropology that a person has. You know, so that's one of the reasons why here at Grace Fellowship Church, if someone is going to re- receive counseling, they, we ask them during the intensive time of their counseling that they are part of a small group. All right? Other people can speak into their life, even if they're from another church, just while you're here, you're part of it so that other people can gather around and talk with them okay, and realize the value of others.
Okay. Another thing about counseling with this biblical uh, understanding of who a person is, is you want to help them, in three, to live rightly as a child of God. The circle there, 1 John 3.1, and I'm not going to quote it exactly right for you, but uh, uh, the... Uh, <clears throat> uh, but go and look at that, and what it says there, it talks about uh, what you are, are children of God, and then re-emphasizes, this is what you are. And so what you're going to do is you're going to have to spend time changing their whole identity. You might have a person who's a, a workaholic, and... Uh, uh, working with that person to help them change that that their identity is not that they're this certain manager have reached this position in a company that is not really their true identity that they're living for unfortunately as you work with couples you will find in what's happened in our world and culture you will find many women that have been sexually abused and uh, that has a way, when it happens to a young person, being very much of a definer of who they are as a, as a victim and so forth, and just helping them move from that black room to realizing that they are a child of God. And so then, as this new identity of who we are, uh, to live rightly. So there's some verses there in Ephesians to look at those and so forth. And then often your counseling is going to involve uh, husband and wife. And uh, for the husband to uh, be loving in that in those short passage of Ephesians 5, uh, there it's mentioned to the husband to love his wife three times. You know, uh, for a husband to uh, miss that. And then in Titus, it talks in there, that uh, for the younger women, for all women, to love their husbands and their children, the role of the older women is to help the younger women uh, do that. And then, uh, interesting, before it, it ta- starts those verses in Ephesians 5 about the husband loving, uh, loving their wife, and at the end it talks about the, the wife submitting to the husband. Before that passage starts, Remember that we're to submit to one another in uh, Ephesians 5.22. And, uh, and then we're all to be uh, honoring of one another. Husband is to honor uh, his wife, as it says there in 1 Peter 3.7. Live with her in a considerate way, both heirs of the, of the grace of, and the gift of life. All right, so these are the type of things that you're going to want to do and uh, help them in counseling as you're giving them a brand new view of who they are as a person under this whole category of anthropology. Okay, so thank you, Matt, for reminding me to do the last last one here. Okay, any any other questions on that? Okay, well, let's go on and and do talk about Christ now. What's what's going to happen is you're you're going to in much a lot of your counseling person's going to come in and they're going to tell you a long story about what they're in and the situation 
And surprisingly, like I said, this person could be a part of your church, even be a leader in the church. And somehow they're going to be blinded. And they'll go through this long story for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and they will never, ever mention God. They, they have just sort of left God out of the problem. And what you're going to think is Christianity 101, things that they would have learned in third grade at your church and it, it, that would be part of their life. Somehow there is a block they have forgotten. They're not appropriating. They're not using. You're going to have to bring this in. So that's why they want you to do this theology part of the exam and just not the counseling part of understanding of God and now going back. Christology, so talking about Christ, just basically why did Christ die? It's not that this is an elementary thing and we can leave it. No, uh, we need to go back to it many times with our counselors and many times uh, with ourselves. So they remember, A, you know, just thinking about power, how are we going to divide this out? Possibly do a paragraph on our state, uh, then our need, the value. C there talks about the value of Christ's death, and then D, the value of the resurrection. Just having these concepts uh, clearly in your mind. So let's go back to our state. Remember, we inherited this state from Adam. We've uh, exercised uh, uh, this in that we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And remember, uh, A3 there is talking about, there's, you know, there's nothing that we can, we can do in ourselves. It has to be the... Uh, God regenerating us. That's basically what the conversation was between Jesus and Nicodemus. When Nicodemus came to him, he said, you have to be uh, born. Uh, and we have it, you know, born again. Uh, actually, probably a, a better translation of that word again would be from uh, be above, but it became so part of the, our culture that they've always translated it again. It's born, we have to be born from above and uh, born by God. And so just to understand our state, then our need, uh, we need the wall to be demolished and peace established by this perfect human sacrifice. There's no other way that could be done. That's why Christ had to have these two natures be combined, that there's the human aspect and there is the divinity and uh, Human, since it's a man that has sinned, and uh, it is man who has fallen uh, short of the glory of God, and needs uh, Christ to sacrifice the iniquity of us all that was laid on him. That talks about there in Isaiah. He is that uh, perfect, since God himself is perfect, and uh, he is the one that is holy, and he came here. And it says, the only being that's possessed God-like perfection and at the same time a human nature was Jesus, who was both God and man. All right? Needed to receive God's righteousness. Now, uh, this, is, this is very important. And uh, uh, you'll hear things like justification. And we'll talk about it again, but I do, it's come to mind here. It's, we needed to receive God's righteousness. 
You might have learned a shorthand definition for uh, justification. It's just as if I hadn't sinned. Uh, that is very, very, very wrong. It's not just as if I haven't sinned. Because even if you hadn't sinned, you would not have God's righteousness. And if you read what he has done, it's not that your file folder in heaven you know, is, just has now your righteousness on it. It has God's, it has Christ's righteousness on it. That is way, way different than just if you had not, not sinned, is what has been imputed to it. And that was the great discovery that uh, uh, in time allowed Martin Luther to discern that it just wasn't that he, that he was sinned and tried to earn his way and be a righteous person. It, it can only be the righteousness of God, a gift. There's no way you can, can earn uh, that. So just to have them uh, understand that. So the need to receive God's righteousness, Romans one seventeen. Actually, that's the uh, Romans one seventeen. That is the verse that uh, uh, God used to really grab uh, Martin Luther and for him f- finally to understand understand the uh, gospel. And uh, so, uh, remember when uh, uh, you know Halloween comes around October thirty first. Uh, sure, if you want to give out candy and dress up in a funny outfit, that's that's fine to do. But as Christians, remember that that really, most importantly, that is Reformation Day. That is the day that Martin Luther nailed those 95 questions to the door that got things uh, really rolling. And that was in uh, October 31st, uh, 1517. And so actually in 2017, just uh, three more years, will be the 500th anniversary of that awareness that it's God's righteousness that has been imputed to us by the death of Jesus Christ. So when October 31st rolls around, uh, celebrate that gladly of what uh, God has allowed us to become aware aware of and what you will help your counselees uh, come to realize. The value of his death, there definitely needed to be a death, and that death paid for our sins. So the verses are here because of just rolling through. I don't have time to look them up, but look them up. Uh, as you're writing your answers, sometimes you can just give a reference like it's given here, or if you, you might want to write out the whole verse. So, Christ's death has done all that is necessary in the salvation economy of God. He has done it. What we're doing is we're just receiving it. This is someone gives you a gift at Christmas time, you've got you to take it out of their hands, you've got to unwrap it. Same thing, what we're doing by the exercising of our faith is we're just receiving it. We might seem like we're wrestling and doing all this, but uh, we're just doing uh, receiving. It's He's done the work. His death, a loving act, a penal substitution for a believer is referred to as atonement, includes element of sacrifice, propitiation. Propitiation is uh, just a means of, of uh, appeasing the, the wrath of God. Uh, it sounds very odd in our culture to talk about the anger of God, but yes, God is is angry against uh, sin, and so this has appeased that. It's a substitution, and uh, there's reconciliation uh, due to our sin. God had a righteous anger toward all mankind. Christ has appeased 
This wrath through his blood, propitiation for those who have received him through faith. Shedding of blood of the absolutely perfect sacrifice of the God-man, Jesus Christ, was essential in God's plans for us to be forgiven of our sins. So, going on to have the anger of a good father appeased is wonderful. But then to be seen in his eyes as one who has done good deeds as justified is even more wonderful to fathom. So we move from a state of uh, seeing, being God angry at our sin to moving to a state where we are now his uh, children. And it's only by God's abounding, abounding grace, grace upon grace that happened at that time when we were saved, uh, we realized it when we accepted him and continues to happen to us. We've been declared righteous only because God's goodness has been imputed uh, to us. Once again, that, that righteousness of God. Now, the value of the resurrection here, the resurrection powerfully uh, demonstrated for us the exercising and the eventual completeness of all God's promises for us, his children. He was raised uh, from the dead, that was said what was going to happen. So a miraculous uh, proving that all that Christ has said. And now we have the blessing that uh, uh, Christ is uh, actually interceding for us, still working on our behalf. All these blessings that we have because of him. How this makes a difference in counseling is to realize, is just speaking to them, If he went all the way to die for us, he will certainly give us everything else we need. You can't imagine that he would, you know, in heaven, set aside his relationship with the Father and the Son, come and take on a human form like ours, uh, setting aside his uh, glory, and then living as a very simple, humble person, and then the... just the humility of the treatment before the cross and then the agony of the death on the cross, both the physical aspect, but probably more than the physical aspect, their separation from the Father and the Spirit that he went through. If Christ went through all of that for us, for our counselee, he is certainly going to give us and the person that we're coming alongside to help, he's going to give them all that they need in this life and uh, the next out of his love. All right. So here's some uh, uh, verses. You know, even just a simple one. Psalm 23, verse 1. The, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just to meditate on uh, what that, that means. Sure, we're going to one things, but God is really going to give us the things that we really do need uh, in this life. Remember, he's given them the spirit and uh, actually <clears throat> given us the ability to fellowship with him and other believers uh, at this time. So great verses to look at in terms of uh, fellowshipping is that <clears throat> first chapter in, in uh, First John. Uh, that little letter. Any questions uh, on that? All right. Well, let's uh, continue in our 
uh, Christology. And let's do the, uh, this last question here, question number uh, two. It says, he was tempted in all things as we are. Discuss and relate to counseling theory and practice. All right, where do, where do I go with this? Well, hopefully you got some outlined things here uh, <clears throat> to help us. First part you want to realize under A, uh, Jesus was tempted. Okay? Then the second part is to realize how does knowing this help us? How does knowing that Jesus himself was tempted help us, help the counselee? And then the, the third is uh, resources God is giving to us so that we may not sin, even in, in this life here. And then the last part, D, com, com, excuse me, not the last, compare temptations and sin so as to demonstrate clear understanding of their difference. And then E, what is our confidence once understanding Jesus' resistance to temptation? All right, so let's go back and read the question here. What are we, what are we talking about here? You know, there's a lot here. He was tempted in all things as we are, discuss and relate to counseling theory and practice. <clears throat> Let me just give you a little background. Why this is important is you're, what's happening, most likely, is that your, your counselee is facing a temptation. And in this temptation, they are succumbing to it. And what you have to do is help them uh, live the new life and move to a point of not succumbing to the temptation. Now, it might be a type thing that uh, it's not one day necessarily that they're always succumbing to this, and the next day they're perfectly free. We have a number of men that uh, we have the privilege of continuing to help uh, here at Grace Fellowship Church that are struggling with pornography. And usually it's not a type thing where one day they're struggling and the next day they're not succumbing to that uh, temptation. But to help them, you know, gradually, you know, move out of that, being a definer of who they are and uh, an occupier of their, their time, their energy, their thought life. So this whole idea of helping people move from uh, succumbing to a temptation or temptation coming and saying uh, no to that temptation and moving in uh, righteousness. So using thinking about Jesus, he's tempted in all things as we were, that coming in that human sense there, a Jesus was tempted. So what might be an example where and when? In the wilderness, uh, even though it was a very supernatural fast of uh, 40 days without food and water, you know, that has to be very uh, supernatural, is that uh, he was tempted by the devil. We have three examples that the uh, devil asked of him. Uh, but he, you know, overcame those. Also tempted in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. He understood what was next uh, for him. And uh, even there, it was such, bless you, such agony that uh, uh, sweat, it says, talks about he even sweated blood over it. Spent intense, intense time 
with the uh, father praying that he would follow it on through. Even though he knew, uh, to think about this, talks about in Hebrews, even though he knew that there would be the joy set before him. The joy was not the agony of the cross, not the agony of the pain, not the separation from the Father and Son, but the, the joy was the knowing that that would be the saving of, of you and I. But even at that, to tempt it not to take all those, those steps. Now, how does knowing this help us be? Okay. Well, fortunately... He is a God that can sympathize with us. He has walked this earth like us and experienced these things. And he gives us grace and mercy in our trials and temptations to help us in our time of need. He under, understands. It's not just, isn't that too bad? Too bad all that they are going through and sort of looking at us from heaven and shaking his head like that. And all, we all need it. I remember that uh, <clears throat> a pastor friend of mine just recently, um, his wife was dying, and uh, we all need God's grace and mercy. And, and he just said to me, you know, Ken, pray for mercy for us, because, I, you know, I don't see it. You know, his wife is, you know, dying. His hospice dying right there in the living room. And, you know, even... a spiritual leader, uh, and uh, so forth, and uh, just needed to have a fresh sense of the mercy of God, you know, in that uh, situation. And you will have counselees that need that in their their life. He intercedes for us. He's he's saved us completely. And uh, he gives us the example of himself, the following of his... uh, his, in his footsteps, and the amazing thing is that for us, we can actually make progress in that. Remember, we're never, ever going to be perfect, but perfect is a target that we're, we're shooting at, and it's not, so it's not really perfection that you're, it's never perfection that you're aiming at for your counselee, but perfection is direction that you're sort of pointing them at. And it won't, that will not happen until a glorification. And remember, uh, Jesus gives an example for himself. Remember, Jesus used the scriptures, and so we're to use the scriptures wisely uh, also. Now, here in C, resources God is giving us so we may not sin. Some of these things were repeated in other questions. He gives us wisdom. I remember in James 1, it says, Consider it all joy when you face various trials. And uh, so the person comes in for a trial. He'll give us wisdom. And wisdom is, the, wisdom is the practical applying of God's truth to my own personal situation. He'll give that, give that to you. And two, he gives us the scriptures to clearly know right from wrong. That verse there in Second Timothy 3.16. So the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the man or woman, the servant of God, person of God, may be equipped in that way. And he gives us the understanding of scriptures. And then also, God is transforming us 
so that we do his will and thus not sin. All right, these are the, these are the resources he's giving us. He's also giving us the power to stand. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Now, this is very important, this 1 Corinthians 10.13. It's another, circle that one up. I can't remember a time when I've worked with people that we have not worked through uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13. And I use it, I use it as a hope verse. And I say that it contains, as written here, four promises of hope. And if you can, if you can grasp 1 Corinthians 10.13, and if you can help your counselee grasp 1 Corinthians 10.13, it is a major change in the way they're, way they're thinking and moving. So let's, uh, let me get that. let's get that verse and look at it together. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10.13. And uh, so looking at it, it says, uh, And no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. So here, you talk to them, well, you know, what, is that, what does that one phrase mean uh, there? And so simply, that you want them to be able to say, my, my trial is common. All right. It's when, you, when a person thinks that their trial is different, that then gives them an excuse to handle it in a different way than a Christian would, or the Bible says. So to get them to be able to realize that no matter what they're, they're facing uh, there, that it, their temptation has overtaken you, it's common to man. Very similar. Now, one thing also I want you to note, you see where it says temptation? Is that could is easily been translated there, trial. There's, there's no difference in the Greek word between temptation and trial. It's just one word, and, uh, but our translators have used uh, temptation there, but it could be trial. And so it certainly is. All temptations are trials, and so it's a trial. The second thing is just very clearly to be able to realize, and God is, is faithful. He's faithful to you through uh, this, this trial. And then the, the next part is that he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. My trial is not more than I can handle. All right? that, is an, that is an unbelievable promise because that is often why when we're in a trial and there's a temptation to get out of it and that's a sinful path, we take that because we've justified in our minds that, wow, this is, this is more than, than, than I can, can bear and handle. And so that then justifies me for taking this route out. And in the last, last part, but when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so you can endure it. What it's talking about here, this is not a way out of the trial. This is a way out of the temptation to do what is wrong in the trial so that you can stand up under you can endure uh, this so god has provided a way to not sin in it and so those are promises of hope so remember in biblical counseling 
the two main things that you're going to do is you're going to give people hope and you're going to help them. And hope is very important. Uh, write down, I think it's uh, Romans fifteen thirteen. That's another verse that can be sort of a, just a motto verse about counseling. And it says, may the, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trusted him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times, they're going to come in to you hopeless, and you're going to have to instill in them hope. And this is great, a great verse to do it. And usually, I, as I said, I work with 2 Corinthians 5, 9 in the first session. Usually we do this verse here, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, in the very second session. So, because... A lot of people, the first session, they have no idea what a Christian goal of life is, and they're, they're living with no hope, and they have these wrong views here under B, four lies that control our thinking. You know, my situation is unique, as opposed to my trial is common. Or, you know, I'm on my own, as opposed to my God is faithful. Uh, this is too much. I, I can't handle this as opposed to my trial is not more than I can handle. You know, I'm stuck, no way out, it's dead end, I'm trapped into sinning. There's just no way, as opposed to thinking, God has provided a way for me to live in this, as hard as it is, uh, provide me a way to do it and not not sin. So this is a, a key. He's given us this power, this this promise. So two... Counselor and counselee can be sure that a counselee has the ability to overcome every temptation by the power of Christ living in them. So take some time here. I've got some rough notes for you. But this, this verse, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, would be well worth uh, talking about uh, this and unpacking it so that you yourself will be you know, better prepared for um, when you get to use it. D, quickly, compare temptations as sin so as to demonstrate clear understanding of the difference. Is, is being tempted sin? All right? You can be tempted. You know, uh, you know I, can, I can acknowledge that uh, a certain woman is, uh, has a beautiful look to her. You know? And my mind, if I let it run, you know, could move in to a lusting, okay? If I did that, then I would be sinning. And it might be right to the edge, but step back. No, I'm not going to dwell on that and uh, uh, recognize the beauty and, uh, you know, move on. So, uh, so that not necessarily uh, temptation is a sin and to help someone realize that difference. It's when it goes from a temptation then to the next step of really letting your mind and heart and your actions then really follow into it and to be sinning and, and lusting. You know. So uh, what is our confidence once understanding Jesus' resistance temptation? So counselors and counselees can be confident that they have solutions to problems at their disposal. So because of what Christ has done on our behalf, and he has been tempted in every way that he's given us solutions uh, to it. So hopefully this uh, gives you 
some things to work on, working through Christology. So my suggestion would be is to now set those questions aside that you had last night, jump in, work on these four on anthropology and Christology. You know, just a rough outline and then start filling it in with the draft.